0: Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams concludes a series entitled The Vision. In this message, Brandon goes through the parable of the sower and lists out the five truths to keep in focus if we want to see God's power cultivated through obedience in our lives. Listen as he shares week four of The Vision. Morning, church. Everybody good? Woohoo! It's going to be fun today. We're going to have a good time. Jump in and into the Word today. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 13, we're going to get there in just a second. We're going to actually wrap up the vision series, uh, today. And, and I will say this next week. You don't want to miss next week. I'm, I'm really excited about next week. i um, a little nervous about next week, um, because it's, it's a lot different than probably a message I've ever preached before. Uh, but I would encourage you to be here. And if you have someone who has been turned off from church or who has not been in church in a while, I would encourage, uh, you to get them here. Um, just an, it's just an opportunity that I'm going to have to really share my heart and, um, just some things that God's really put on my heart to share with you. So uh, try, to, try to bring somebody. Bring somebody that doesn't go to church. And uh, let's see God do something incredible in their lives next week. Also, I want to take just a second, and we don't do this every Sunday, but probably should. But I just want to brag on God just a little bit. Um, just something that I think is easy for us to take for granted sometimes is that since we moved into this building, um, we have had actually one Sunday that we don't know of someone coming to Christ. And I just want to take a second. Listen, it is all God. It, it's not about anybody. It's not about one person. Um, the three weeks that I took off and I didn't preach, man, we had people coming to Christ. We had, probably had more people saved those three weeks than we had the other weeks combined. So um, we're just thankful. And I just want to take a second to, to share that because I think sometimes as I talk to people, people don't realize that, that we are truly in the middle of something that God is doing that is so much bigger than us. When you're serving here, yes, and you're doing something, that, that you're, you're a part of something that's so much bigger that, than we are. And, and I just pray that God would continue to do that, not just here in this church, but throughout this community, that people would come to know him. But I'm just telling you, we have an incredible God, and his word is true, and if we will exalt him and lift him up and we'll preach the truth of God's word, he will bring people to himself. And, and I just pray that that will continue uh, to be the case. And so we're going to continue to, to, to do everything we can to see people connected to God and connected to each other. Um, the other thing that I will tell you is, is the connect groups, that, the connection junction that's coming up. Listen, if you're serious about your faith and you're not currently in a connect group or a small group, we want to see you get in one. I, I know um, from my own life and from watching other people that the greatest life change happens when we're in a small group. Um, when we're, This is great and people come to Christ, people are ministered to on Sunday morning, but, but consistently week in and week out, walking through life with someone else and applying the word of God and growing closer to God and one another, it begins to shape and change your life like nothing else. And so I really want to encourage you to stop by the next steps table, find out more information about Connection Junction, find out more information about Connect Groups, because this is really where we believe and we have seen life change happen the most is in those small groups. All right? Everybody ready? All right, Matthew chapter 13. We're about to jump in here. We're going to do a little reading here to start with, and then we'll talk about these scriptures. But Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and then we're going to jump over and read 18 through 23. These are the the parable of the sower. These these are those scriptures. So Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. He who has ears, let him hear. Now down to verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty time that which was sown. Now let's look at Acts 1, 1-8 real quick. This is Luke writing to Theophilus. It says, In, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray, God, today I pray that as we get into your word and we look at your power we look at um, just the, the soul that, that 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 is able to manifest your power God I pray that we would never get to a place that we would become complacent or comfortable in doing things in our own strength Lord if we're there right now I pray God that you would move us out of that place and God today I pray, um, in the name of Jesus, Father, that, that power would not be something that we just talk about today, but it would truly be something that we experience. God, that today you would bring people who are far from you, close to you, God. That you would bring those who have begun to wander, who begun to turn to the left or to the right and wander from you, God. That you would draw them near to you today, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We recognize, God, that apart from you and apart from your Spirit, we can do nothing of eternal value. So I pray that you would move in this place right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I went up to Boone, North Carolina. On a mission trip with my son, Dake, who is eight years old. How many you, who went on that trip? There were some, some people around who went on the trip. Yep, hands up. That, that was an awesome trip. We had a great time. Um, and we went up there, and I was so looking forward to the cool mountain air. How many of you could use some cool mountain air right now, right? Up in the mountains where it's cool, you know, it's like 110 heat index here. I was looking forward to the, the cool weather. We got up there, heat index was 105. I was like, what in the world happened? How, how, why the one week that I go to the mountains during the summertime? It was 78 for the high of the week before. It was like 95 the week we were there. And just because of my background, whenever I go on a mission trip, I always end up on a roof. And so I'm on the roof, it's 105 degrees, uh, heat index on the ground, I don't know what it was on the roof, but I've got my eight-year-old son, he's up there working, you know, and I'm up there with all these teenagers who are way better shaped than I am, and so I'm up there and I'm I'm seriously thinking I'm going to die. Especially the first day, I'm like, I can do this, I've I've done this, I, I almost died. Like, we get down off of the roof, I don't know if you've ever been so hot that finally you just quit sweating. I was like, okay, this isn't good. And I was like, finally, I was like, I got to get down. I got to get down. So I went down and I sat in the shade, which really hurt my ego because everybody else was still working. We go and get on the bus to head back to the hotel. It was so bad, like, my head was throbbing. It felt like my head was about to explode. I'm, like, rubbing my temples and, and thinking, oh, Lord, just don't let me die in front of my kid. You know, I, I really thought it was coming to that. And, and, and it was so bad, Dave finally reaches over, puts his arm on my shoulder, and he's like, Daddy, are you okay? And you don't understand, like, that's huge for Dave because normally he'd be like, you know, if you're going to kill over, just go ahead and do it, you know. And, and I was like, son, I, I, I don't know. I'm just tired. And so we go back and he jumps in the shower when we get to the hotel. He walks out. I'm laying in the floor of the hotel. I really think he thought that something bad had happened. But I'm laying in the floor. He's like, what are you doing down there? I'm like, man, I'm just trying to just trying to just relax. I, I, you know, and the thing I realized is I was, I was absolutely zapped. Like my strength, it was gone. I mean, I, I really barely was able to muster up enough motivation to go get a shower and go eat dinner because I mean, all my strength was gone. I had no power. I had nothing. That I couldn't do anything else that day. In fact, for the rest of the night, I was worthless. They, we got back from eating dinner, and Dave was like, "Let's go swimming." I'm like, <laughs> I "Ain't going swimming, buddy. I'm getting bed." You know, and, and so I gave him some Benadryl to make him. Go. I didn't. I didn't really, but. But some of y'all done that, you know, you have. And, and, uh, but if I, that's like, we can't deny we'll do it another night. But I was so drained. I was so wiped out. I, I was so missing, um, any strength to do anything. And I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking about how much the church is like that. How much uh, we, we, we really don't often manifest the power of God. In fact, we tell people that we are full of the Holy Spirit, but so many times we don't manifest that. We, we don't show any sign that we are actually filled with the Spirit of God. And, and I wonder how confusing that is for people in the world. And I really believe this with all my heart, that for the most part, Christians have hurt Christianity more than any atheist, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, more than any of them. Christians have hurt Christianity because we proclaim one thing and we love another. We do not typically manifest the power of God. And and this is the thing that I realized. It was so important for the disciples to have the power of God operating in their lives. Jesus says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I don't want you to do anything until you've received power to be my witnesses. One of the things I want to tell you today is that God always gave his power to advance his kingdom. The number one, he gave power to the disciples to advance his kingdom. He said, "I want you to be my witnesses in, you know, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and I'm going to give you this power. But you've got to wait on the power of God." And one of the scriptures that this church was founded on was Acts one eight. That we would always be a church that was founded on the power of God. That we would never become a church that became so dependent on programs and pomp and circumstance that we would try to manipulate people to God. Because here's the thing that I know and that we've got to realize as a church. Our life doesn't change and no one else's life changes apart from the spirit of God. Only God is able, only God is qualified to come into our lives, take that heart of stone that we all were born with and give us a heart of flesh that is sensitive to the things of God. That our trajectory begins to be changed from a trajectory towards sin to a trajectory towards God. Only God is able to do that. But what I see in church so many times is we, we look to other things. We try to try to figure out how can, how can we manipulate this? How can we do this? How can we build this? How can we start this? What if we do this? Well, they're doing that. We better do that too or else they're going to get our people. And I'm just saying we need to depend on the power of God. We need to be a church. We need to be a people. It's like Moses. When Moses, God was telling him to go and he's like, God, I'm not going if you don't go. There's very few Sundays, I can promise you this, that I walk on this stage that I go, God, if you're not going up there with me, I don't want to go. Because I know what I'm capable of. And see, here's the deal. This is the thing I want you to hear right now. I want you to understand that power, God's power, is cultivated in the soul of obedience. Think about this, every time I've ever heard Matthew 13 preach about the parable of the sower, the the focus is always on what the first three souls... I don't know how many messages I've heard where people preached on the first three soils. It was always about the shallow soil or the rocky soil or, or, or the path. And it was always about the thorns. And I agree with that, man. We need to check our hearts and see maybe that's, that's the condition of our heart. The soil represents the heart. The seed represents God's word. Maybe my heart is in one of those places. But today what I really want to talk about and what I really want to know about is I want to know about the soil that produces the harvest. I want to know about that soil that produces a hundred times that which is sown. When Jesus said this, when he said a hundred, sixty or thirty times that which was sown, they would have been like, whoa! Because what was considered an average harvest was about five times that which was sown. And if you had an incredible harvest, it was about fifteen times That which was sown. And Jesus looks at him and goes, listen, if you'll get your heart right, if you'll become obedient to me, then what I'm telling you is you can see a harvest, uh, and not of crops, of people that will blow your mind. That's the harvest I'm interested in. You remember last week, Luke 10, it was all about the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. I'm interested in lives. I'm interested in my life being one. That when we get to the end, we look back and go, man, we saw a hundred times harvest that which was sown. There's no way we could have accomplished that. There's no way we could have done that. There's no way we could take glory and honor in that. Because it was all God. There's no way we could have produced a hundred times harvest. But you see here that the, the harvest that the disciples saw, that The power of God that they saw working to produce that harvest because the harvest only happens through the power of God. It does not happen as we try to manipulate people's lives. The harvest only happened because they waited in Jerusalem and they received power. Here's my question this morning. and and I want to ask us just real quick, and we're not going to spend much time on this because I want to give you some things before you walk out that you can apply in your life, but... But I want to ask you the question, how are we doing, church? How are we doing with being obedient to what God's already told us to do? If, if, if power is cultivated in the soil of obedience, which we see in Acts 1, and it is that they had to wait on the power of God. They had to go and they didn't fully understand. They had to wait on the power of Jesus. They were obedient to the word of Christ. And if, if, if that's the soil that, that power is cultivated in, How are we doing? And before I go into this, I really feel like I've been praying about this all week. I've been about to throw up all morning. I really need to clarify some things real quick. You've got to hear what I'm about to say out of love. You've got to hear what I'm about to say from a a heart that, that just refuses to watch people settle for less than what God created them for. Listen to me. I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going to stand up here with the word of God, the the greatest riches that we could possibly have the gospel and watch people settle for less than what God created them for. And so you've got to hear my heart in this. My heart is not anger. My heart is not frustration. My heart is nothing more than I want to see you become everything that God created you to be. And when you become everything God created you to be, there will be people who come to Christ. There will be people who grow up in Christ because we are being who God created us to be you know the salvations and all that stuff you know we've already proven that it doesn't matter who preaches up here because people got people are coming to christ no matter who was standing here you know what i think some of the most valuable positions in this church are it's the people standing in the parking lot when it's 140 degrees out there smiling Knowing they don't want to smile. It's hot. They're all soaking wet. They got the little towels around their neck. It's the people standing at the door. It's the people that get here at 6 o'clock in the morning just to make sure that we can play some music that we can worship to that some of y'all don't even come for. And so the thing I want to really challenge you with is how obedient are we being? Listen, and this is coming so much out of love, Listen, I do not want you to settle. My philosophy on ministry is that, that people are, it's kind of like pouring sugar into a coffee cup or into a cup of coffee. If you've ever done that, you know what? If you pour it in and you don't stir it. It does not change the flavor of the coffee. But if you stir it up, it changes the flavor. The problem though is sometimes if you stir it too fast, the coffee sloshes out of the cup. So there's some point in the middle there that we've got to stay in which we stir up God in our lives. We don't allow people to settle because then we become salt that's lost its saltiness. And we need to be a church that is constantly stirred for the things of God. We need to be pressing into God as a church and as individuals so that the power of God is manifesting itself in our lives because we're walking in obedience and we're constantly stirred up. But here's some things that I, I just want to ask you, just a, as a limit And I've been asking myself these, this, these questions all week. How's our obedience? One area that I think about with obedience is, how's our obedience to God's house, to His church, His people, this gathering? Because this is the thing I realize. We joke around because we're like, we got first church and second church. We got first church starts at 1045. We got second church starts at 1145 or, t- or 1105. And here's my question. Is that the best we can give God? Is that the best? And and I understand, like, some people are like, well, I just can't get my wife there on time. Do what I do. Tell her it starts 30 minutes early. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. She knows what time church starts. She checked the website. But... But seriously, we, we use excuses. But here's the thing I know. If you're going to a Georgia Southern tailgate, you can get there six hours early. But we can't get to church on time. Is that the best we can give a God who, 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 took, who took nails through his hands and his feet? Is that the best? We, and I know, like, I don't, I hear this too. I don't like the music. We don't sing it for you. We sing it to God. If you don't like just come in and pray. Oh God, help me to make it through this music. (laughs) But it's a time of worship. It's a time to give glory to Him. Some of the songs we sing, I don't don't know. I don't even like them. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't, that song, I don't like it. But I still worship. Because He's bigger than the music. He's bigger than the words on the screen. He's the one that we come to worship. How about this? How about, how, about, how about the fact that 25% or less of the people that attend this church actually serve in some capacity? 25% or less. When I was little, I had, um, we always had hunting dogs and different things. And I told you before, I don't go hunting. I go hunting, right? Right? It's hunting. We had a hunting dog. And, and, and the dog goes out in the woods and, and he's gone for a few days. And, and so we're looking for this dog and we can't find the dog. And, and so finally we go out and, and, and we see the dog. He's trying to come down the road but we notice like every time he'd stand up he'd fall over. We noticed that when he would stand up and try to walk he'd just stumble. And we're like, what is wrong with our dog? And so we get up there and we, we get to him and he was literally covered in ticks. Covered. And what we realized was That once we got the ticks off of him, once we 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 got got all of that off, we dipped and we got those things off, we realized like his strength came back. His strength came back, and it's actually this thing that happens. It's always called tick paralysis. Where so many ticks are are sucking the blood out and so many of them are putting in toxins that the dog loses muscle function and loses um, nervous system control and they literally cannot function the way that they were designed to function. You know what I see in churches a lot? I see a lot of parasites that are sucking the life out of the body of Christ. And here's the thing, guys. Listen. Remember, this is this is me. I'm challenging you today. Don't be complacent. I'm challenging you today. Step into what God's called you to do. Because this is what I know. When you meet Christ, you are you become a life giving agent, not as something that takes life away. We have the ability to to give life, to give the greatest treasure that we could possibly imagine not to suck it out. And if the church is going to function the way that the church is designed to function, we need to begin to be life givers. Not everybody shout at one time. Amen. Hey, here's another thing. Think about this. How how obedient, obedient are we being with the people that God's already placed in front of us? How obedient are we being with the people that God's already placed in front of us? Are we really being obedient with them? Are we we doing the things that God's called us to do? How about, here's another one. How about our money? Y'all don't throw anything. But this is what I can tell you out of Matthew 6, 19 through 21. If God doesn't have your wallet, he doesn't have your heart. Period. It's in scripture. I didn't make it up. How obedient are we truly being? With what God's given us. How obedient are we being with the riches of the gospel? Are we truly living it? Are we truly sharing it? Are we being obedient? Because the thing that I know is God will not empower us beyond our trustworthiness. God will not empower us beyond our trustworthiness. Are we being obedient with the things that he's already given us? If we truly, and you hear this all the time. Well, I just want to see the power of God in the church. I just want to go back to the Acts church. Then let's get obedient. Let's start doing what God's already told us to do and let's quit playing around with it. Let's actually surrender our lives to Him. Let's actually say, God, whatever. And listen, this is all up on my toes. Not perfect. You're going to find that out next week. You're going to be like, dang, I ain't never going back after the next thing, you be like, that dude's messed up. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if we walk in obedience to the Lord, listen, for us to, to, to do something and not be trustworthy, to not be faithful with what God's already given us, that would be like me going, okay guys, this is what we're going to do. Today at, at three o'clock, I want you to come to my house. We're going to give Reed, my eight month old, an Uzi and a grenade launcher. And we're going to see how it turns out. That makes sense. And it doesn't make sense to think that God would give us power when he doesn't, hasn't seen that he can trust us. Are we willing to be obedient? Are we willing to be faithful with little so that he can increase us, increase and give us more? This is the thing I want to do because I don't want to just leave you with that. I I, I want to give you, we've got got just 15, 20 minutes left and in that that time frame, real quickly, I want to give you five things that, that I believe will break up the hard soil of disobedience in our life if we're going to cultivate obedience and and see power arise from that, then I I want to give you five things that I truly believe if we will do this, we will see obedience begin to arise in our life like never before. And we'll see the power of God working in us. It's about us becoming obedient and Him infusing power. And and, and this is the thing that I want you to hear first. The first one is this. The The first point. Obedience flows... From love deposited, not love earned. Obedience flows out of love deposited, not love earned. I want to read real quick John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. This is what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, but it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. Listen, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. But this is the mindset that we typically go with on that. We typically get it backwards. Rather than us realizing that we operate out of love that has been deposited, we operate out of this mindset that I'm going to earn God's love. And you can't do that. And it goes so backwards to our mentality. Think about it. I've had a lot of different jobs where I was growing up from the time I was cutting people's yards to the time, you know, up to now where where I'm paid by the church. And I've had all these different jobs, but you know what I never had anybody do? That when I went and they was like, yeah, we'll, we'll hire you. I was like, great. And then they hand me my first week's paycheck. That never happened to me. It might, if it happened to you, that's pretty awesome. But it never happened to me. I had to work a week so that I could get paid. And once I worked that week, I received what they owed me. And so our mindset in church, our mindset in the world is, if I don't work for it, I can't attain it. Which is exactly the point. Because Jesus is is so high. He is so exalted. He is so much better than us that we can work all of our lives and still not attain it. The only way we come to the love of Christ is because he gave it to us. You can't earn it. And so many people, I guarantee you, some people that put on those blue shirts, those orange shirts, they're doing it because they're trying to earn God's love. We've got to serve. We've got to be obedient. We can become obedient when we realize what God has already deposited in us, not because of what we're trying to earn. When the love of God is on the inside of us and and it begins to to, to dwell in us and the spirit of God begins to manifest in us and it begins to work in us, we begin to work out of that love. We begin to work out of that approval, not so that we try to gain it. If there's one thing that that so many people, myself included, if we could get beyond the thought that we can somehow earn God's approval or earn his love, it would set us free. It would truly set us free. We cannot earn God's love. Listen to me. The the difference in Jesus and us, you can never work your way out of that hole. You can never do enough to get yourself up even with him, no matter how hard you try. But here's the amazing thing about God. And this is his grace at work in our life that when we're here and he's here, he bridged the gap between here and there and lifted us up to where he is literally coming to us and picking us up and saying, you know what? You'll never be perfect on this side of eternity, but I'm going to give you the perfection that I've already got. That's an awesome God. And we begin to live out of love that's been deposited and not trying to earn his love, it changes our entire mindset. How could you not want to serve a God? How did you not want to serve people who are yet to encounter that love? How can we not want to serve a God who was willing to die to bridge that gap that we can never overcome on our own? How can we not trust that God with our money? How can we not trust that God and the power of the gospel? when we realize what he's done for us, the value that he placed in us by giving his own life to us. When we begin to realize that, when, when that love that's been deposited in our lives begins to take root, we begin to realize that we, it literally becomes our hope. It becomes everything to us. It doesn't matter when when people say things, when people do things, we have a bad day at work, we have a, a bad night at home. We go back to that place and we go, Yeah, I know the love of God is in me and He is going to bring me through. And there's something bigger than us that's on the inside. The second thing that I would tell you is that obedience has grown in the ground of trust, not understanding. It's grown in the ground of trust, not understanding this is such a, a, a huge deal because the bottom line is we'll never understand God. And why would we want to? If God is a God that I can understand, He's not God. I'm not that smart. I, if, if I can understand Him, then, then He's too small to be God. And think about the, the disciples. They're in Jerusalem. And Jesus just says, just go wait." Go wait till you receive power. They don't know what they're waiting on. And even after the Holy Spirit came, they still didn't have a clue. I mean, there were tons of fire on people's heads. You know, they weren't sitting there going, yep, there it is. That's what we were expecting. Tons of fire. They didn't know. But they trusted Jesus. It was beyond their understanding. But they trusted God. They trusted him that that, that if we wait, we'll receive exactly what he's been telling us we'll receive. And I'm telling you, people, that that, that obedience has nothing to do with us having complete understanding. But it does have to do with us coming to a place of completely trusting. And we come into a place where we trust him, then we'll do what he says. And, And we're not working to earn his love. We're working out of his love. We're, we're not we're not doing things because we understand exactly how to do them and, and exactly how everything's going to go. We're doing it because Jesus said so, and we trust His word. It's like when we go into a a, a a store and we come out. I don't. What is it about children? I don't understand this. But as soon as they see parking lot, they like to run. I don't know what it is. It's like it's like a you know a green flag and they hit the parking lot. It's like gone. And here's the funny thing about what kind of daddy would I be if my son went tearing out across Walmart parking lot which I'm kind of afraid to walk across a Walmart parking lot and he's running and I'm like just go for it son just go for it maybe you'll make it that'd be horrible good luck praying for you that'd be stupid no when he starts to run I say son stop stop. And you know what they'll do? They'll stop. Most of the time, most of the time they'll stop. And they'll stop. Why? Is it, why wouldn't they stop? They don't understand all the dangers that are around them. They don't realize it, especially, you know, my five-year-old, he's like oblivious. He's probably looking at a bird or a butterfly. He's just kind of like, whatever. But he understands that when daddy tells me something, they're beginning to learn that he's got my best in mind. They're beginning to learn that that, that he's not telling me this to hurt me. He's telling me this because this is what's best for me. And so many times we operate out of this place where it's, it's like we don't trust God and we don't trust his word. And what's really scary about that is that is a key component of salvation. Salvation is trusting God and taking God at his word that Jesus has given us a righteousness that is not our own. And that he took a wrath that was designed and, and should have been placed on us that in his body he took our sin and our punishment and we trust God at his word and we begin to live out of that and when we begin to realize that how can we not serve that God how can we not trust that God who paid that kind of price for us so that obedience begins to come out of trust even when we don't understand the third one is this that obedience is grown in the ground of trust not fear The ground of trust. And and see, here's the thing. Some of y'all went, wait a minute now, the Bible says. I know what the Bible says. I know that, that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I know. But there's also an unhealthy fear. So many times we look at God as this tyrant who would rather put his foot on our throat than lift us up and make us into what he intentionally created us to be in the first place. And we need to begin to realize that until we move beyond this place of I'm going to do and be obedient to God because I don't want to get caught to this place of living for God out of gratitude, we'll never get it. We will never get it. But we have a God who loved us so much that He sent His Son. I want to read a scripture to you out of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love because... But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect. In love. Listen, th- there, there should be this reverent awe. This, oh my God, this is God. He is absolutely amazing. There should be this reverence for his holiness. There should be this reverence for the fact that if it were not for his forgiveness and mercy, he would squash me like a bug. There should be a reverence, but there should also be when we come to Christ, this deposit of love that goes into our life that, that tells us we don't have to fear judgment. We no longer fear condemnation. And that's what John is talking about here. He's saying, listen, that perfect love of Jesus is driven out the fear of that day of judgment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we begin to live in this place where, where we're living out of gratitude for what He's done, not guilt of our sin. We're living out of gratitude for what He's done, not trying to, to, to earn His favor. We're living out of gratitude for what He's done, not, not just trying to get by. And we begin to see that more clearly. It changes our whole mindset of who God is, who we are in God, and what he's called us to do. So we've got to get to this place. You know, I've never seen anybody who came to God out of fear who continued to live for God long term. Never have, including myself. There were times, man, you do something wrong, you're like, oh gosh, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get caught. Oh God, okay, God, I'll serve you. If you will, I will, God. Guy. God's like, I've already done it. It's not about me doing anything else. I've given you everything you already need. In Christ. And here, here's the thing. Think about 9-11, right? When, when people started flying airplanes in the building, everybody went to church. Because we thought like, okay, we're all about to die. World War three. Where are they at now? Because until we come into a place where we realize the love of Christ that was poured out on the cross will never become obedient consistently. I live my life trying to obey God out of doing the right thing, out of, out of just, just being a good person, and it never worked until I realized that Jesus Christ paid a price for my sin that I could never pay. And now, listen, I don't preach... Just because I want to preach. I preach because Jesus has given me everything. And the least I can do is to try to share his love and his glory and the power of his word with other people. we got to get to a place where we begin to operate and become obedient out of trust and not just fear. Fourth one, obedience has grown in the soil of humility, not self-importance humility not self-importance this is such a huge thing for us because we live in a world where we've got pretty much everything and it's easy to begin to take our eyes off of god and begin to put them on ourselves and somehow think that we are self-made somehow think that we can sustain ourselves and and i would say this for anybody that thinks they are a self-made man or a self-made woman that is an arrogant idiot we have nothing that god did not give us We have nothing apart from the grace that he shed upon our lives. It's all God. And whether we choose to acknowledge him or not, it is all God. Everything. And this is the thing that we need to do. We need to come to the ground of the cross. Because the thing that I know and the thing that I have to do, the thing that I did this morning before I stepped up here to talk to you, is I had to put my eyes back on the cross. I had to put my eyes on the cross because I cannot look to the cross and not humble myself. I cannot look to the cross and and think of what Jesus did just so that I can know him and not humble myself. When I look into the eyes of Christ and I think about what he's done, how can I not think of me less? And it's a day after day thing. Because I can tell you yourself, that that self, that part of you, that thinks of you, is always going to try to rise up. And if we're going to become obedient, we need to keep our eyes fixed on the cross, realizing what Jesus has done for us. Realizing that he's crucified us and when we begin to feel pride creep its way back in, when we begin to feel pride trying to come back and take over in our life again, we once again look to the cross by which he died and gave his life so that we might live. See, he invites us to come to this place of sharing in that cross where we die to ourselves daily. He invites us also to come into the, the place of when we will be obedient to him, walking in the same power that he found on the third day when he was resurrected, the resurrection power of God. But we have to come to a place of humility. And I believe humility starts at the cross. Was there ever any greater act of humility than the Son of God hanging upon a cross? For you and I. See, I dare, my parents might would die for me, but I doubt you would. If I were about to go to the cross and and, and the only option was for you to take my place, I'm pretty sure most of y'all would be like, hate it for you. But Jesus humbled himself. And even though he had all rights to be God, as God, he humbled himself, became obedient, even to death on a cross. And I can tell you this there's no way. If we can look at the cross and not become humbled by it, then we have not recognized the magnitude of what happened there. If we can look at the cross and not be humbled, By what he did there. Then we have not realized the magnitude of what Christ did for us on that cross. The last one. Obedience has grown in the soil of desperation, independence, not self-sufficiency and self-reliance. I believe this. that, That if we'll begin to trust God, we'll begin to work out of love that's been deposited in us not trying to earn it. When we begin to follow him and we begin to take steps of obedience, we will become desperate people. There's the whole thing of like weak people become Christians because it's a crutch. That's baloney. You begin to become obedient to Christ, you begin to walk in Jesus's footsteps, it's not easy. It's not the easiest thing to do because you get put in situations that if God doesn't show up, I'm in trouble. I experience it every Sunday at 1045. If he don't show up, I'm in trouble. And here's the thing, guys. I believe sometimes, most of the time, we miss the power of God because we won't allow ourselves to walk into situations where if he doesn't show up, we're in trouble. And when we become people who are desperate, dependent upon God showing up, we'll see the power of God. We become obedient and we step when he says step and we do what he says do. We'll see the power of God. Because we're showing him that he can trust us. We're showing him that we'll be faithful with a little and he can give us more. You remember the parable of the talents he gave? It's told the parable of this man who went away and he, he gave five talents to one, uh, two to one and one to one and, and he went off. And he came back and the one who had five had, had doubled it. The one who had two had doubled it. And he got to the one who had one. And what did he do? He had hit it. Why did he hit it? He didn't trust his master. He didn't trust him. He was not obedience. And, and it manifested itself in laziness, and poor stewardship. And we've got to come to a place where we're willing to trust and step and become desperate for Him. I want to read one last scripture to you and we're going to close. It's in Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42, verse 1 and 2. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Those of you who know that song, that's a stupid song, but it's an awesome scripture. Hate that song. We'll never sing that song here. We're I mean, not doing that. But the truth of the matter is it's incredible, an incredible image of longing and thirsting for more of God. It's an incredible image of longing for more of him, for saying, God, I'm desperate for you. If you don't show up, I'm done. you remember Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah comes and he sees God. He sees the glory of the Lord. And he says, God, I am undone. In other words, God, I'm finished. I've seen you. And it says that one of the angels goes and he takes a coal and he touches Isaiah's lips and he says, now you're clean. And then God goes, now who am I going to send? Who can I send to go and tell the people about me? And Isaiah goes, I will. So I think we, we've got to get back in this place of, of realizing the holiness and the awesomeness of God. We ought to be desperate for that God. Desperate for what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And then when we become desperate for him, we'll become obedient to him. We realize that we can trust Him. Listen, if He gave His life on a cross for you, don't you think you can trust Him? He paid the greatest price that could ever be paid for your sin, the death of His own Son. And and, and yet somehow we think we can't trust Him to be obedient. Do you think He would have killed His Son if He really wanted to kill us? Why do we walk in fear like like somehow God is some tyrant some big white bearded guy with a thunderbolt in his hand just waiting to throw it at us we begin to move into this place of trusting and obedience man I'm telling you we can see God do some awesome stuff listen in about three weeks we're going to have an influx of college students just telling you get ready like you've got all these there's, there's, they're coming need to be ready. We need to be praying. We need to be desperate for God. God, there's 21,000 college students. Bring them to you, Lord. Change their lives like you changed mine. You can save them, God. You can save me. Whatever it is we've got to do, God, we'll do it. And if we want to see the power of God manifest in this place, we want to see people coming to Him like never before. We want to be a church that, that, that we see a hundredfold harvest. Then it's time to get obedient. It's time to humble ourselves before the Lord at the foot of the cross that He shed His own blood, that He took a beating, that He literally got beat to death so that you and I could live. the God that we serve and I'm going to challenge you I'm gonna, church I, I'm going I'm to challenge you from, from now on I, if I ever quit then we need to shut the doors because we're not going to just grow stagnant we're not just going to get complacent we're going to walk in obedience we're going to take steps of faith because so I believe God's called us to that harvest less than what God created you for. You have potential to do incredible kingdom work. First step, surrender. The first step is surrendering to Him. Receiving the love that He so desperately wants to give us. Isn't it funny how desperate God was to show us His love and forgive us our sin? And how Undesperate, I don't even know if that's a word. We can be for him. How crazy is that? Why don't we stand up? We're going to close out with one last song.